Well, maybe it would have been easier if they read the book first. But that is something about publishers. I met live here people in a cemetery. They paid almost nothing, and it was worth every penny of it. In case you're wondering, I can't imagine why, why, why they would be. Wardbox is based in the South London, right next to the River Thames. If something goes flash in the night, he's probably the managing director. He, he never used to be suicidal, not until he looked at these sales figures. They work in a building which is old and crumbling and desperately in need of facelifts. A bit like my editor. Actually, she's had so much plastic surgery. They ran out of plastic. The last time she sneezed, she turned into someone else. It's scary that a lot of people will do to keep themselves looking good. And she wasn't great when she started. Anyway, water books needs your needs your pocket money. They're so desperate, they even they even take your pocket. Remember the book token you got at Christmas? I've been in your bottom drawers ever since. They want it. To you, you it may be better coming paperwork, but to them it's lunch. That's why they've asked me to write this introduction. I've got a call from my editor to start this of the month. Her name is Jane Winterton. And on top of all this work of uh, all commodity surgery, she's a voice that sounds like fingers being scratched down a blackboard. Or maybe an animal in pain. Talk to her for too long. You want to throw yourself under the nearest train or under it. Tim, she said, she cried. We need your help. Who'd been killed, I asked. It better not be the accountant. Oh no, she said. Mr. Lloyd is fit and bouncing. Yeah, lucky checks. What we need is 1,500 words for your new edition. The Falcon's Maltese. We'll pay you 50 pounds. 50 pounds? I tried to work out the rate of her work. Her work, but I quickly gave up. I didn't have a cow pocket later, small enough. What's the idea? I demanded. Now, obviously, your brother Nick is the one who actually writes the books. We really thought it might be fun to hear something new from you. Straight from the horse's mouth, said the bee. She was calling me a horse. What a laugh. Has she seen her teeth? What if I'm busy? I cried. How are you? I glanced around the empty office. It's true that, that, that right now I drink cases. My right, my last client asked me to find some someone's glue stealing supplies from his glue factory, but he disappeared. I'm going to think he must have come to a sticky end. Oh, I said. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Yes, I'll, we'll like something by the end of the week. I'm not sure about that. How about Friday? See what you can do. She rang off. So that's the induction to the induction. Here's the induction. If you keep reading, you might even get to the book. I never dreamed when I got set up as a private detective. I would end up living with my kid brother. If you thought I was going to dream it, I wouldn't have bothered going to sleep. Look at it. Look at it from my point of view. I was 25, he was 13, the day he walked through the door, his voice had been broken, which is more than you, than you could say for the door. The whole office was falling apart, trouble was the business had been slow, in fact it could have been overtaken by a one-legged tortoise and a 20-day day cigarette, cigarette habit. I had no money, no clients, and something was an extra mouth to feed. Worse still, the mouth was connected to an extra stomach. The thing is, Nick was meant to remove 
looked at Australia. Well, parents, I thought, I've seen the last of him. I waved him goodbye at Heathrow Airport. It turned out he never had ideas because by the time I got back to the flat, he was already there. The strange thing is that in the way, I'm glad he never did make it to Australia. Falkland's Matita was our first case together, and there were moments now, then, when it was too good to have someone, have someone around. I mean, for the moment, John Nichols walked into my office. I knew this was, Johnny Nichols walked into my office. I knew there's no ordinary case. What was he doing with a box of Matitas? Why did he need to look, look at me, look after to look after it. Why was the fat man so desperate to get his hands on it? The fact is, no matter what, I needed someone to talk to. Two brains are better than one. I said to Nick, Sure, Tim, he replied. But I guess we'll just have to manage with the one year between us. I've got no sense of what he meant by that. Nick was a strange sense of humour. You might like to know that there are other books written about me. Public Enemy Number Two, South by Southwest, A French Connection. I know I knew what you did last Wednesday and the Blow Man. Percy, I haven't read them. Because I was too busy being being in them. Oh, you may be wondering who is this guy, Anthony Aldrich, whose name appears on the covers. He writes some water books. They pay him to knock the books up into shape after it has finished. I never met him, and they tell me I never met much. Apparently, he writes his own stuff or two. A lot of people compared him to Jane K. Rowling's without the money or the good looks. What the man doesn't know about writing could fill a book, and nobody knows. Nobody would read that one either. So here it is, a Falconer's Matiza. Teachers say that reading books are good for you, so get stuck into this one and prove them wrong. Tim Diamond, 13th of February, 2001. The Package. There's always much, there's not, there isn't much call for private detectives in Fulham. The day it all started was a bad one. Business was so slack, it was falling down all around us. The gas had been disconnected that morning. One of the coolest mornings for 20 years could only be a matter of time before electricity followed. We ran out of food and the people in the supermarket downstairs had all fallen about laughing when they lost you know, credit. And at just £2.37, about three teaspoons of instant coffee to last us the weekend, and the dog barking and gone. The wallpaper was peeling, the car carpets were fraying, and the kitchen well, the curtains well, it was curtains for us. Even the cockroaches were walking out. I was just wondering whether the time hadn't come to do something constructive, like package my, packing my bags and going down to back to Mum. When the door opened and the dwarf walked in, okay, maybe you're not supposed to call them dwarfs these days. Physically challenged. That's what it says in the book. But not this book. The truth is that this guy was as challenged as they come. I'm only 13, but I only had six inches on him. And when he looked at me, he was with cold, unforgiving eyes. He knew it and wasn't going to forget it. He was in his mid-forties, I guess. I was hard to say with some of that size. A short, dark stranger with dark brown eyes and a stubbed nose. He was wearing a three-piece suit. Only the pieces, all, only the verses all belonged to different suits. Like he 
got a dress in a hurry. His socks didn't even match either. A neat moustache crowned his upper lip. And his black hair was a slick black with enough oil to interest an Arab. A spotted bow tie and a flashy gold ring completed the picture. It was a weird picture. You're coming, Mr. My brother began. Eight rules. The draw food already was in, said. Your name might have came out of Italy, but you spoke with a South American accent. Johnny Naples, or you Tim Diamond? That's me, my brother lied. His real name was Herbert Timothy Simple, but he simply called himself Tim Diamond. He thought it suited the victim image. And what do I, what can I do for you, Mr. DeVette Venice? <coughs> Naples, the dwarf corrected him. He climbed on a chair and sat opposite my brother. His nose had just reached the level of the desk. Herbert slid his white paper weight out of the way to give him a new client a clear view. The truth was about to speak, but then he paused and the nose had turned on me. Who is he? He demanded the two. Well, scratching the back of his throat. Him, he smiled, Tim smiled. He's just my kid brother. Don't worry about him. Mr. Naples, just tell me, how can I help you? Naples laid a carefully manacled hand on the desk. His initials, J.N., were cut into the ring. With so much gold around that third finger, he could have added his name and address too. I want you want to deposit something with you, he said. Deposit, Herbert repeated. Quite unnecessary. The dwarf had a, had a thick accent, but it certainly wasn't as thick as my brother. You mean, Dr. Bank, he continued brilliantly. The dwarf raised his eyes to the ceiling, took, took, look, took in the crack of the plaster, then with a sigh, lowered them on the hover. I want to leave a package with you, he said briskly. It must be important that you look after it, but you must not open it. Just keep it here. Safe. How long? How for how long? Now the dwarf's eyes darted across the window. He swallowed hard and loosened his bow tie. I could see he was scared of something or someone in the street outside. Even now he had a thing about a double glazing. I don't know, he replied. After a week, maybe, I'll come back and collect it when I can. You give it to nobody else except me, you understand? Naples held out a packet of Turkish cigarettes and lit one. The smoke curled up woodwards a lurid blue in a chilled morning air. My brother flicked a piece of chewing gum towards his mouth. It missed and disappeared over his shoulder. What's in the package, he asked. That's my business, the girl said. Okay, let's talk about my business then. Herbert treated his client to one of his. Don't miss me, smiles. It made him look about as menacing as a cow with some egg. I'm not cheap, he went on. You are cheap, Detective Dick. Try looking into the cemetery. You want, want me to look after your package? It'll cost you. The dwarf reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out the first good thing I'd seen that week. Twenty portraits of Her Majesty the Queen, each printed in brown. Another pocket, a bundle of ten pound notes. Brand new and crisp. It is two hundred pounds here. Bag. Good. 
out and drew snubbed out his half-smoked cigarette rag and sat of a chair. Then he moved a plain morning <coughs> movement in the other pocket. His white fit was something vaguely rectangular, bulging in centre, a rattling faintly. He put on a desk. Here's the package, he said. Once again, look after it, Mr. Diamond, with your life. And whatever you do, don't open it. You can, be, you can trust me, Mr. Nichols. My package is safe in my hands. He waved it out. He waved one of the safe hands to the straight point, sending a couple of coffee flying. What happens if I don't get in touch with you? He asked. It's an article. You don't. Make us sad. I'll get in touch with you. Well, there's no need to be touchy, Herbert said. It was then the car on the street backfired. The drop seemed to be evaporate. One minute, moment, moment. He was standing beside the car, the desk, and next he was crouching beneath it, one hand inside his pocket jacket. And somehow I knew that his finger was wrapped another bundle of money. For about 30 seconds, nobody moved. Then they come slid across to the window, sliding to one side, so that he could look up without being seen. He had to stand the tippy toe to do it. His hands perched on the steel, one side of his face pressed against the glass. He turned around and he, let, he left a damp circle on the window. Hell, it was sweat. I'll see you in a week, he said. He made for the door as fast as his, lips, his legs could carry him. It, his legs, it wasn't too fast. Look after the package with your life, he said. I'm going to bring it. I mean your life. And then he was gone. My driver was jubilant. Just for looking after the package, he crowed. Best thing that's happened to me this year. He glanced at the package. I wonder what's in it. He murmured, still, that won't need to worry us. As far as we're concerned, there's no problem. That's what we've heard before. But right from the start, I wasn't sure. I mean, 200 pounds is 200 pounds. And when you turn that sort of money around, there's got to be some good reason. I remember to his face when the car fired. He may have been a small guy, but he seemed to expect him big trouble. Just how big, I was about to find out soon enough. Tim Diamond Incorporated. Two hundred pounds lasted about half a day. But it was a good half a day. To blow out a calf around the corner, double eggs, double sausage, double chips, my bed, but no beans. Been living on beans for the best part of the week. It had to be some, it got so bad, it had been having nightmares with the joint high and steam cans chasing me down the high street. After that, Herbert put on an ad in the local news agent for cleaning lady. That's crazy, really. There's no way to for a cleaner. Not, but on the other hand, if they've seen the state of our place, maybe. You would have understood. Dust everywhere. Dirty plates piled high in the sink. Old trunks worn across the carpet from the bedroom to the front door, as if we're trying to get the bread under the home steam. Then we took a bus into the West End. Herbert brought me to a new jacket for the sake next term at school. I bought myself some new thermal underwear and a hot bottle, water bottle. That left just enough money to get two tickets for a film. We went to see 101 Dimensions. Herbert cried all the way through. He even cried in the commercials. 
what sort of guy do that's the sort of guy he is. I suppose it was pretty strange for two of us living together the way we did. It had all happened about two years back when my parents suddenly decided to emigrate to Australia. Herbert was 28 then. I just turned 11. We were living in a comfortable house in a nice place in London. Part of London. I still remember the address. One, Warren Norita Muse. My dad worked as a door-to-door salesman. Doors is what he sold. French sliding doors and traditional English doors. Pure mahogany made a career. He really loved doors. Ours was the only house in the street with seven ways in. As for my mum, she had a part-time job in a pet shop. It was after she got bitten by a rabid parrot that she decided to emigrate. I wasn't exactly worried about the idea, but of course nobody asked me. You know how some parents think about, about their own kids. Well, I couldn't even sneeze without a bit of permission signed and trip with her. Neither did Herbert nor I really got on with our parents. That is one thing we had in common. Oh yeah, we didn't get on with each other. That was the second thing. You just joined the police force. This is the one we before the end of police training centre burnt down. And more or less looked after himself. But of course, I had so much independence at the coffee table. Well, I've Australia. My dad said, it's sort of got kangaroos, and bell rings, added my, my mind, and one for marble, maple wooden dolls, and koalas. I'm not coming, I said. You are, he screamed, so much for the region argument. I got fast he thrown, but just as a plane, <coughs> just as he was about to take off, I stepped <coughs> out the back door and managed to find my way out to the airport. But then I hightailed it back to Fulham. I told my mum and hysterics about had hysterics about 35 feet high above Bangkok, but by then, too late. Now, by this time, Herbert had finished with the police or put it more accurately, the police had finished with it, yeah, but he finally got the sack for giving someone a to the bank. I suppose it wasn't his fault that somebody robbed it. It really should have held a door for the guy as he came out. But in the meantime, we managed to run out some money and then rented this run-down flat in Fulham Road, above the supermarket, planning this stuff up as a private detective. Well, that's what he said on the door. Tim Diamond, Incorporated Private Detective. Inside, going up the staircase to a glass front door, which turned, in turn, led into this office, a long, narrow room with four windows looking into the street. The second floor led off from here in the kitchen. The staircase, the staircase continued up onto the second floor. We both had a bedroom and a shared bathroom. The flat had been made available to Herbert as a bargain basement price, probably because the blazer so regularly is threatening to collapse into the basement at any time. The stairs wobbled when he went up and the bath wobbled when he turned on the taps. We never heard saw the landlord. I think he was afraid to come near the place. Dark and blue-eyed Herbert was quite handsome. At least, at least from the opposite side of the street on a foggy day, 
for that but long for what God had given him lots take away brains they may have been worse private detectives than Tim the one incorporated in the building was the stuff he put in his brain but somehow I doubt it first job was to find a rich lady begging his Siamese cat. He managed to run over it on the way to see her. The second job was a divorce case, which you might think he'd run in a meal, until I tell you that the clients were perfectly happily married until he came along. Then there was, hasn't been the third case. Anyway, Herbert had been not overjoyed to see me that day when I turned up for me throw carrying a hold all that held exactly nothing. Where else could I go? We argued. I told him I was fate. Oh, He argued some more. I told him what a fate to he was. In the end, he let me stay. Mind you, I just, I often wondered. I made the right decision for a start. When I say I like a square meal a day, I didn't mean a sort of Weedabix and no fun starting the winter term in clothes. You go out in the summer for the hot more holes in your socks and Swiss cheese. We could never afford anything. Her Majesty Government held um, uh, uh, out a little, maybe when it's a fancy way of saying that he got the doll. Apparently sent the occasional check for my upkeep. But even so, Herbert never managed to make any of Try to persuade him to get himself a sensible job. Anything other than private attention, but it was hopeless. As hopeless as Herbert himself. Anyway, we got back to the fact. We're ready eleven. So making our way down to the stairs, past the office when Herbert stopped. Wait a minute, Nick. He said, Did you leave the doors open? No. He said, that is strange. He was right, the door of the office was open. The moonlight pouring out the crack like someone had split a can of silver paint. Spilled a can, can of silver paint. We made our way back downstairs and went in. I turned the light on the light. Oh dear, my brother said. I think we, we had visitors. That was an understatement of the year. A staple of wild fools would have left the place in a better order. The desks had been torn open, the carpets torn up, the butchers torn up apart, the curtains torn down. The old filing cabinet would have fitted into so many matchboxes. Even the telephone had been demolished in various parts scattered around the room. Whoever had been there, they'd done a thorough job. If they'd been invited to a wedding, we could have taken the office along for confessing. Oh dear, Herbert repeated. He stepped into the bubble, picked up what was now a very dead cactus. A moment later, he dropped it to his lower jaw. He dropped it, his lower jaw falling about the place at the same speed. Oh God, he shrieked. The envelope. He stumbled over to the remains of the desk and searched in the remains of the top drawer. I'll put it in here, he said. He fumbled about on the floor. He's gone, he moaned at last. He got to his feet, clenching and unclenching his fists. First trouble I've got in six months and now I've gone and lost it. You know what that means, don't you? It means we've not got another hundred pounds. I'll probably have to pay back the two hundred we already spent. What a disaster, what a catastrophe. I don't know why I bother. Really, I don't. It's not fair. He gave the desk a giant thump of the booty boot, groaned and collapsed in the small heap. And then he looked at me. Well, just don't stand there, he said. 
floor for my men to do my ass. Well, say something. All right, I said. Don't think it was a very good idea to have it leave the package in your desk. It's a fact lot of us telling, telling us right now, Herbert whined, and he looked as though he was going to cry. I don't think it was a good idea, I continued. So I took it with me. I pulled the envelope out of my jacket pocket, where it had been resting all evening. My brother seized it and gave it, it a big, wet kiss. He didn't even thank me. The fat man. We didn't get much sleep that night. First, we had to make our beds, uh, just not talking sheets and blankets. Whoever the regular office had done the same with the rest of the flat. It took about 14 hours and two tubes of soup glue for the beds were even recognisable. And then I found out that Herbert had managed to stick himself to the door handle and spent another hour prizing free with a kitchen knife. So then it was morning, I was too tired to sleep. Herbert sent me out for a loaf of bread while he put the, on the kettle. At least they didn't dismantle the kettle. There were three letters on the doormat. I bought them up with the bread. One was a bill. One was postmark Sydney Australia. The phone had been delivered by hand. Herbert filed the bill under W for waste paper bin. I opened his training letter. Morning, Herbert. And Nicky, it read. Just a quick note, Daddy and me are about to go to Royal Barbecue. There's lots of barbecues in Australia. The weather's lovely. The sun never stops shining, even when it's raining. You really ought to come out here. I miss you. How are you? We miss you both very much. Have you sold any crimes yet? It must be very cold in England. So, so, not so much. You must wrap up with the rest. I know they tickle, they, they tickle. But for the moment, but flu is no laughing manner, matter. I'm enclosing a little check so you can go to Marlson's bar, for instance. Go on, Neil. Daddy's at the door. We just brought, me, brought a new one. I'll walk all right again. Love, Mummy, Mamsie. We've written on the back of a postcard, showing a picture of the Sydney Opera House. Here's a check attached with a paperclip. £75. It wasn't a fortune, but at least we had, it would pay for a few more tunes of Superglobe. Herbert pocketed the check and kept the card. I kept the card. Three letters. Third letter was the most interesting. It's typed on a single sheet with no address and the top. It was a big sheet of paper, but it had a short letter. It was a short letter. Diamond. Trafalgar Square, 1pm. Be there, the fat man. Who is the hell is the fat man, I asked. The fat man, Herbert murmured. His face had been on a sort of cheesy white. His mouth was hanging open. The last time I'd seen him, took him look like that he'd been when he found a spider in the bath. Who is he? Herbert was tugging at the letter. He tore it in half. A fat man about the biggest criminal there is in England. You mean the fattest? No, the biggest. He's involved in everything. Burglary, armed robbery, fraud, arson, armed robbery, you name it. He's behind it. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Well, when I was a policeman, Herbert explained, how every cook has a foe at New Scotland Yard, a fat man's an old library. He's clever, no one's even been able to arrest him. Not once. A traffic warden once gave him a bail ticket. They found her a week later and bailed in a concrete part of the M6. Nobody tangles with a fat man.
he's, he's deaf. Herbert pressed two hearts of air together as if he could magically restore them. Personally, I'm more, pu- more puzzled than afraid. Okay, so there was this master criminal called the Fat Man. But what could we want with no hope like Herbert? Obviously, it had to be something to do with the dwarf's mysterious package. Had the Fat Man been responsible for the destruction of the flat? You see, I, I see, it seemed likely, yet at the same time I doubted it. You don't tear someone apart, place apart, and casually invite them to meet you in Trafalgar Square. Or on the other hand, but not both. On the other hand, if he had done, had, hadn't done it, who had? What are we do, going to do? I asked. Do? Herbert looked at me as though I was mad. We're going. When the fat man invites you to jump in front of a troop train, I don't argue. You just do. You're, and you're grateful he wasn't in a bad mood. So later that morning, we took the number 14 bus into the West End. This time, I left the package carefully hidden, packing the flat. If it had been ransacked once, I figured that nobody would think about looking for it there a second time. How do we recognise the fat man else? Well, I've seen mug shots, Herbert said. You mean you, you've had pictures of him on your mugs? Herbert didn't laugh. You could take a... You could tickle the soles of his feet with an ostrich feather. He wouldn't have even laughed. He was so scared, he could barely talk. And yet, the bus tickets. The bus stopped. Doctors at Victoria Circus and we walked across the Trafalgar Square. It was another cold day, but by a... F- and he had a bit, bit all the way through. The tourist season had ended the week before. There's still a few of them around, taking photographs of each other against the grey December sky. The Christmas decorations had gone up in Regent Street. It seemed to have been there up since July. And the stores were wrapped in tinsel and hold ollie. Somewhere, a Salvation Army band was playing, away in the major. I felt a funeral march would have been more appropriate. Trafalgar Square is a big place, and the fat man hadn't been too specific about the meeting point, so he positioned himself right in the middle under Snelton's column. There was a few tourists feeding pigeons. I felt sorry for them. Who be a pigeon in London? All the matter of tourists. I had a picnic bar, so I pulled out a couple of peanuts and fed them myself. I ate the rest of it. It was ten to one, and all the excitement, I missed out on my breakfast. Taxis, buses, cars, lorries rumbled all around us, streaming down the highest start parliament, across the Buckingham Palace. I met leaned against a lion, looking out for anyone with a hundred centimetre waist. Pigeon landed on my shoulder, I gave it another peanut. Big Ben struck one, according to my watch, it's five minutes and fast. There he is, Herbert said. I didn't see him at first. At least I saw him, but I didn't. He didn't see me. Him, I didn't see him. A pink Rolls Royce had pulled up to the curb. Ignoring the blast of the cars trapped behind it, Chauffeur got out, strolled round to the back, and opened the door to one of the thinnest men I ever seen. He's so thin that he moved towards us. He was like a living skeleton. His clothes were expensive Italian suit and fur-lined coat hung off him like he was trying to get away. Even his rings were too big for his pencil fingers. He walked at as he walked, he kept adjusting them to stop them sliding off. He looked. I looked for them. Looked from him to Herbert and back again. That's the fat man, I asked. Herbert nodded. He lost weight. You 
reached out to stop, swaying slightly as if the wind was going to blow him away. Close to, he was even peculiar than far away. Hollow cheeks, hollow eyes, hollow guts. The man was a drum with the skin stretched out over his bones. You could probably see the light was behind him. Mr. Diamond, he said. Yes, Herbert admitted. Follow the fat man. There was a long silence. Herbert was too afraid to talk. I wasn't too long, but it wasn't. I don't like long sentences. They make me nervous. You don't look fat to me, I said. The fat man chuckled unpleasantly. Even his laughter was hollow. Who are you? He demanded. Hey, Diamond. I told him, adopted my brother's name. I'm his kid brother. Well, my dear boy, why do you suggest that you keep your mouth closed? I have business with your brother. I meant my... I kept my young mouth closed. The fat man didn't bother me, but I was, I was interested to know what the business was. Meanwhile, the chauffeur followed him with the rolls, carrying a folding chair and a tube of corn. The chauffeur was wearing glasses. They were so dark, he didn't show his eyes, but two reflections of yourself. He unfolded the chair, handed his master the corn. Thank you, Lawrence, the fat man said. You can wait in the car. The chauffeur grunted. I walked away. The fat man was down, sat down and dug in the handful, dug in the hand in the tube, and threw a spray of pods across the concrete. Pigeons came at us and rushed each smile briefly. You look well, Herbert muttered. Thank you, Timothy. If I may call you, if I may call you, the fat man had gently would generally please. My doctor advised me to lose weight. He shrugged. One must bow to the voice of reason. Though one might say I have taken it a far touch far. The past year I've not eaten nothing but yogurt. I've shed a hundred and thirty-six kilos. I have, however, retained, retained my old nickname for professional purposes. Hand dug again, scattering more corn of the pigeons. On the subject of which the fat man continued. I'll be brief. We were visited yesterday by an old friend of mine, a small friend I am dead to understand. He met with him, trusted you with something that I want, something I'm willing to pay for. Herbert said nothing, so I checked in. How much? The fat man smiled at me the second time. He had a dreadful teeth. In fact, he was pretty dreadful all over. You seem a bright lad, he said. I'm sure the nurses will just adore you in the casualty room. shrugged. We don't have it. I said, you don't? His eyebrows lifted them. So towards his bald head. At the same time, he fed a vision. My place is turned over last night, I explained. Perhaps you know about that already. Whoever did it took what they were looking for. That's right, Herbert agreed. That's what happened. And Paul, the fat man, looked us, at us suspiciously. He was pretty sure we were lying. Beaton couldn't be certain. Britain landed on his head with a flutter of the grey feathers. He punched it off and he threw cotton cone at Last he spoke. Taken, he murmured. Absolutely, Herbert said. When we got back from the cinema, he wasn't here. Otherwise, we'd have to give it to you. Really, he would. So I groaned silently. We'd been all right if only Herbert kept his mouth shut. But he couldn't, he couldn't have convinced a six-year-old. I couldn't tell you tell that the fat man had been seen right through him. I glanced nervously at the chauffeur, who was watching us from the front seat in the rolls He Was he armed? Almost certainly. But would he try anything in the middle of Trafalgar Square? Very well, said the fat man. Said, fat man said. And suddenly his voice was colder than winter wind. We shall play the game your, your way.
Street. My friends, if you want to find out what the bottom of the tent looks like in December, that's your affair. He said up and now his face was ugly. Actually, he'd been ugly before. He had even started, but now it's even worse. I want the key, he growled. Perhaps soon you should find it again. Should you, should such an event take place, I'm confident you won't be foolish enough to keep it from me. He did two fingers into his top pocket, then he pulled out again, the mail again. He was holding a car, which he gave to Herbert. My number, he went on. I'm a patient man, Timothy. I can wait for 48 hours, but if I haven't heard from you in two days, I think you'll wake up to find that something very unpleasant has happened to you. I can no longer have you any feet. What do you want this? Why do you want this key so badly? I demanded. The fat man didn't answer me. He hit it. He hit it off. Him and me. The way he's looking at my head, I figured he'd like to hit that off too. But then he, his eyes wandered. He jerked his hands, sending the rest of his corn flying. The pigeons were all around him, bowing their heads at his feet. I hate pigeons, he said in a farewell voice. Flying rats, London's infested them. I hate their noise they make day and night, the filth they leave behind them. The government might ought to make some of them illegal. And yet he encouraged, and yet they encouraged. It makes me sick to think they've shut across their pavements, fessing the trees, carrying over germs of their diseases. Why did you faint in them? I should have asked, but I had to know. The fat man laughed briefly, nervously. Then he asked, he spun an empty carton in my direction. Poison corn, he said. He walked to the car and got in. A few feet away, purging, sunny, gurgled, kneeled over his side. A moment later, two more joined in, their feet sticking up in the air. By the time Rolls Royce had reached the corner of Trafalgar Square, turned off towards Hyde Park, we surrounded by corpses. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? I said. Herbert didn't answer. He, just, he wasn't looking much better than the penguin pigeons. Opening time. Before the death of bus had even arrived to take us back to Fulham, we both knew we were going to have to open the draft package. We hadn't had it 24 hours, but already our flat had been ransacked. We were attracting the poisonous attention of big, the biggest cook in the country. Okay, so Johnny Nables had paid £200. He made a promise to not open the envelope, but promises are easily broken. So next, so I knew I wanted to get to see get broken first. There was a woman waiting at the door when the, the bus dropped off. What was what with the dwarf and the fat man? I figured it. I've already seen enough weird people for one day. They seen that today. Night buses, the musketeers, they all come in frames. She was an old lady with grey curling hair that stuck out because someone had just electrocuted her. The lipstick was a vivid shade of crimson. It was pretty electrifying too. Her skin was a mass of wrinkles hanging on to her like an old coat. Any old coat hang on her to her too. A sort of seaweed green artificial trevor trimmings. She had a hat, a hat like a tea cosy on her head, a bungling ca carpet bag in her hand. Although this is a huge, this is a high street in the middle of Fulham, her feet was lost in a blue 
fluffy slippers. We assume that she drifted out of the local lunatic asylum, let ourselves into the flat in Omega. So only then we got into the office of Sam, was still behind us. We realised that she'd been waiting to see us. Now she took one look at the wreckage and whistled, smacking the lips together afterwards, and said, as if she swallowed a toffee. Cool, baby, she explained. Another duck. What a blooming mess. Who are you? Herbert demanded. Come on, lady, she explained, replied. She gave a big crimson smile. I saw your ad in the news page, and everything that happened, we had quite forgotten about our advertisement for cleaner. But here the cleaner was. Oh, yes, Herbert murmured. What's your name? Trial lady. Yes, I know. He frowned and shrugged. Maybe she didn't understand English. Maybe someone dropped her when she was a baby. Herbert tried again, more slowly. What is your name? Charlady, she said the third time. Betty Charlady. That's my name. But you can call me Betty. Well, what, what made you for an invitation? She stepped forward further into the room, waving the fest of the dust to them. She produced that nowhere like a demented magician. Herbert and I looked at each other as she brushed it lightly across the remains of the shelf. The shelf fell off the wall, but the cleaning ladies crowd. Crikey, she said. What a disaster. You wouldn't need a blooming cleaner here, love. You need a master carpenter. Wait a minute, Herbert began. Don't you worry, she interrupted. The dust has vanished, and now she's holding a hammer. It won't take me a minute. I'll soon have his face looking like you. I didn't doubt her. The carpet bag was so bulky, it could have had a box of nails, a screwdriver, and even a stepladder concealed in it, too. But Herbert had managed to hold, hold her down long enough to get her attention. Ah, uh, ah, uh, we will, well, he got his in. Got attention, but he didn't know what to do with it. How much do, do you charge? I asked. Twenty a day, she chirped, then seeing the look of dismay in her face. Where were ten of you? You look nice enough, lads, to me. I'm a private detective, too, but I love detective stories. Ten quid a day. Bring me, I bring me, me empty bags. What do you say? I could see that Herbert was about to send her on away, so quickly, so he moved quickly. He spent the two hundred pounds, but still had a check that Mum had sent us this morning. If Betty Child Lady could rebuild a flat and clean it too, all for ten pounds a day, it seemed a too good a bargain to miss. You know, start on Monday, I said. Nicks, protested. Do you really want to live like this? I asked, pointing to the room. Oh, well, all right. Betty chipped Oh, lovely boys, indeed. What is it? Your brother? Herbert nodded. He's a lockout, she curses at me. A proper little gentleman. When do you say? Well, I'd like to start it now, if it's all the same with you. Show him what I'm going to So, as, as I always say, the iron is about... It's about a hundred pieces, I said. Along with the ironing bomb. It, it wasn't that funny. She broke back her head and laughed like a dream. You know the sort of girl getting sand and water comes when you take the plug out for the bath. Well, that's the sort of drain she laughed like. We're pretty busy. I'm busy now, Herbert said. I couldn't see him. He was itching to get that, that package. Could you come back on Monday? Why? Oh, yeah. Built tomorrow. She promised. Five o'clock on the dot. 
make it ten. Ten o'clock, then. She curtsies again. What a little darling, ah. She wink, 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 wink. Ten o'clock, blimey. Then she went. We waited until she heard the outer door close before we would feed the package. There was a loose floorboard in the fluffiest, in fact. It was loose floorboards and sound ones, and I hid in it underneath, covering it with a flea of dust. Herbert took the envelope and I shook it. Once again, it rattled. We were about to open it, but he froze. It could be a bomb, he whispered. A bomb, I repeated. Why should neighbors have left us a bomb? Well... And who is searching place for a bomb? Herbert nodded. That's right, he said. You're right, Nick. Of course it isn't a bomb. I mean, there's no way it could be a bomb. He laughed. I mean, it could also possibly think he thrust into, into, into my hands. You'll open it. With a little smile, we retreated from the far corner to the room, leaving the package with me as I shook it again. The fat man said he wanted a key. Whatever the package contained, it certainly wasn't a key. It sounded more like marbles. So, lots of marbles in a cardboard box container. I could feel the lid bending under my fingers. Herbert was watching me like a hawk. Well, he was more like... No, he was more like a rabbit. I tossed the package into the air and caught it, and he blinked and shivered, shuddered. A bomb. Of course not. But you could still be booby trapped. I stuck my thumb under the flap and slid it slowly sideways, trying to feel what for concealed wire or thread Johnny Nagles hadn't used to not spit when he stuck it down. Perhaps his tongue would have dry his mind is now. The flap came loose about a tearing. I caught a flash of red inside. There was a box of some sort. I tilted the package. Well, sit out on the floor, on the floor. Herbert died to cover cover. There was no bang. And we were both looking down, wondering if we'd gone crazy. Or perhaps we'd got, we were about to go crazy. Certainly someone, somewhere, had to, would, to be crazy. And one thing in the toy's package. There was only one thing in the toy's package. It was a box of Ortizas. Naples. 
for Herbert. That was a pretty brilliant piece of deduction. I am going to give us two days to get back to him. Johnny Avers returned said we've done it in a week. There are five days in which all sorts of unpleasant things could happen. The only trouble was Naples. Helen told us where he could reach him. He had no address, no telephone number. Herbert echoed my thoughts. I wonder how we could get hold of him. I suggested. We could try to get a pages, I suggested. We could be determined. Yes. I groaned as he reached the telephone book. I was only joking, I said. Were you? Of course you were. Herbert dropped the book and gazed out the window. Meanwhile, I was fingering on the, the envelope. The Martinez hadn't told us anything, but looking underneath the flap, I found a small line label. The dropping Harry, the sealed package, must have missed it. Look at this, I said. Herbert took the envelope. It's an envelope, he said. Yes, but look at the label. Herbert found it and read it up. So he held it up to light. Hamlet's, he read. A.E.P. He found. That's cheap for a box of potatoes. I shook my head. That's the price of the envelope, not the sweets. I was paying. Look at the price. It's handwritten. But the name is, but the name is printed. Hamlet's. That must be the station, isn't it? On, on news agents, we brought the envelope to put them in the potatoes in. That's terrific, Herbert explained. That's great, Nick, he pulled. But how does it help us? If you don't want you to buy an envelope, you probably bought it fairly near wherever you're staying, I said. So all we have to do is find out how many hammer shots there are in London, visit them all, and ask them if any remember selling an envelope to Staples. Herbert sighed, you probably call sell hundreds of envelopes, he said. You must have thousands of customers. Yeah, but how many of their customers are dwarfs? That's true, he considered. So how do we find Hamlet? So how do we find Hamlet, Hamlet's? We look them in the yellow pages. Herbert snatched the book up again. Then he turned and looked at me disdainfully. That was an idea. That was my idea in the first place, he said. I didn't argue. Arguing with someone like Herbert. It's like, 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 bit like hitting yourself with a brick. It turned out there were six Hamlet's in London. We found them under the section headed news agents and news vendors. There's three south of the river, one in Notting Hill Gate, and the Kingston turned one in Hammersmith. Right now, we're too late to visit them all, so we decided to take the three in the south first and pick up some second herb. Hand furniture from a friend for the with a shop near Chapman Column at that same time. It took us a couple of hours, a lot of wasted shoe leather, but at least in the evening we were able to sit down again. The next day it was Saturday. We left the flat for a second time and struck struck out it struck out in Kingston and Hammersmith. Nothing just Left Notting Hill Gate, the last hundred was a run-down place on Portobello Road, in the middle of the famous antiques brick and bag market. The sun was shining, the market was busy, young couples flashing out on Victorian brass toe-holders of the Edwardian stripes, pin-blanket boxes. The air was thick with the smell of chips and overcooked kebabs. Outside the shop there was an old boy selling genuine antique number plates. Doubtless they'd fallen off genuine loyalty lorry. The shop was small and dark. It seemed to be a trademark of entered Hamlet train. You probably know the sort of place, sweets and chocolates on one side, newspapers and magazines on the other, and the dirty stuff on the top shelf. Herbert went straight for the thumbing through a copy for to play dot. Looking for clues, as he put it. Meanwhile I took a quick glance at the stationery at odds and end.
subsection is a third branch we visited that actually stopped the right size envelopes. I examined the price table. The handwriting was the same. There was only one man behind the counter. He was about 40, a cigarette dangling out of the corner of his mouth. His skin, unhealthy shade of white, comes of sitting dingy news agents all day smoking. My hope continued his private investigation. I took the envelope and went over to him. Excuse me, I said. You know, it's going to sound crazy, but do you remember selling one of these envelopes to a dwarf? The man took part, looked past me at Herbert. Or oh, you go to buy that, he barked. Herbert pushed the magazine away from him and blushed. Then he came over and joined, joined us. Now, what do you want, son? The news agents asked. My brother's a private detective, I explained. He tried to find a dwarf, greasy hair, suntan. You think, you think he bought an envelope here a couple of days ago? Yeah, I remember that. News agent nodded. Oh, short guy. Most of us are, I muttered. Coming here last Thursday. It's been a Thursday when Johnny and Ava's come to see us. Beginning to get excited when Herbert had to pipe in. Oh, Mr. Dane, he said, Tim Diamond. He didn't tell me his name. The news agent said, No, I'm telling you my name. The news agent frowned at me. Is he all, is he all right? He asked. Sure, I scowled at Herbert. Look, this is important. Did the dwarf buy anything else here? Like Matisse's, for example? I could see the man was beginning to, you know, second thoughts about the state of my own sanity when he knew I was serious. Consider for a moment. He did buy his sweets, he said. But I do remember he had a box of Matisse's with him. They came in. I saw him put them in the envelope. What else did he buy? There was something. He snapped his fingers. Oh, it's a pair of scissors. Now it's all come back. He was in a hurry, nervous sort, kept on looking into the street, like he was being followed or something. He wrote an envelope and a pair of scissors. Then he went. We need to find him, I said. Is he in some sort of trouble? The news agent asked. He might be, if we don't find him, I replied. But he won't, he won't be necessary if we do. But he won't be necessary if we do, Herbert added, having said necessarily. The news agent hesitated. He didn't trust us. If he had been him, I wouldn't have trusted us either. Just then the door opened and somebody else came in to buy a packet of cigarettes or something. Look, I don't have time to waste you two jokers. The news agent said, if you want to speak to the dwarf, you find him at Hotel Splendid at the bottom of the road. How do you know? I said, I know the owner. He told me he had a dwarf stake in it. What's the owner's name? Herbert asked. Jack Splendidly. The further you go down the portobello, the calmer it gets. It's just about okay until you reach electronic cinema. But after that, it's downhill all the way. You come to fly over the bottom by the time you're in different world. You left the antique shops, the bustling stores behind you. Now we're in a flat wasteland up to your ankles in litter. It's amazing how quickly a short walk can take you from one side of London to the other. The hotel's Splendidi was the sort of place you would have hard to find unless you knew where it was. Perhaps the sort of place you might choose if you didn't want to be found. It's right at the far end of Pelterbury Road, halfway down a narrow cul-de-sac, nesting in the armpit of the flyover, which swept around the building, as holding in a clammy concrete embrace. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't get much sleep at the hotel's Splendid. Not with the traffic roaring 
across every couple of meters from your bedroom window. On the top floor of the building beneath the flat roof was level with a very high level highway. Roll over in bed, which being run over by a lorry. That is if you bed bugs and cockroaches didn't get you first. A square, ugly building, coloured muddy, moldy cheese. A right, a red nylon sofa, now the same narrow glow, so then glowed behind a first floor window. Only glass was so dirty you could hardly read it. A room of bus bins stood outside the entrance of overflowing garbage, adding to the delightful atmosphere. You know, you know how some guides of all knives and thoughts of hotels in the recognition for the quality. Well, the hotel splendid. We'll never be able to a toothpick. There's a drunk lying half asleep next to the dustbins. A top of a wine bottle poking out of his brown paper bag. He chucked it in my... He clutched in one hand. A dog at the station lay sprawled beside him. He was drunk too. He stepped past them and went into the hotel. The dog was hanging off its hinges. The interior smelled sweat and disinfectant. We found ourselves in a parcel of reception area. Some hotels advertise theatres and restaurants. In this place, this one posters advertise kitchen sinks and denouncing clinics. There's a counter opposite the door. Behind us, an unshaven man reading a cheap paper book. The paper book was even cheaper than this one. He didn't have, didn't have as many pages, which was just as well, because the guy who read it didn't look like he was up to one piece. He was wearing a grimy shirt, jeans, and one of those stomachs that managed to force away over top of the belt and sag down the middle, down to the thighs. He was sucking a cigar. He'd gone out perhaps a week ago. He didn't look up as he approached it. He flicked a page of his book, grunted, and went on reading. You Jack's funded, Herbert Herbert said. It wants to know. He talked about without moving his lips, but the cigar wang wangled between his teeth. Name's Diamond, Herbert said. I'm private eye, he said. Herbert spent his full and went back to the book. We're looking for someone who's staying here. He's playing the dwarf. His name's Johnny Naples. He owns a, a client of ours. A lot of bread, that's for what Herbert said. And if you find him, we'll give you a slice. We'd make it, we'd make it all up, of course. But it was the only way to get past the man, hotel manager. Jerked his thumb in the direction of the stairs. Room 49. He said we climbed five steps of stairs, trying to stop from creaking beneath our feet. The carpet was threadbare. The walls damp and discoloured. We could, could hear TV set blowing away in the distance. Baby crying. I reckon I'd have cried if I stayed there. Room 39 was at the back of the hotel, at the bottom of the corridor. We guessed it was 39, because it came after 37 and 38. The number had fallen off. The door was closed. Do you think this is a good idea, Herbert? We said, have you a better one, I asked. We could go home. Come on, Tim, I said. We found him. Now, I can't. It won't hurt to as far as the father got. The gunshot was so loud. It was close enough to make me jump in the way you do when a car backfires or somebody drops a plate. We come from another side of the door. Herbert froze and then tried to lurch away, but fortunately, I managed to grab hold of his jacket. I didn't want to go into the room by myself. I didn't want to go into the room at all. But I, I, if I ran down, ran there, away then, I'd never have forgiven myself. Still clutching Herbert, I opened the door. It wasn't locked. In the hotel splendid, the room 
rooms didn't have locks. Some of them didn't even have doors. The first thing I saw was a flapping curtain on the shadowy figures disappearing. I couldn't even tell if it was a man or woman. There was just a flash of a leg hanging over the edge of a small seal, and it was gone. It was a small room, just big enough for a bed, a, tab- a table, chest drawers, a corpse. I closed the door behind me. Tommy Naples were lying on the bed. He hadn't been dead yet. If he wasn't dead yet, but a big red flodge on his shirt told me that time was running out before as quickly as he blood. I went over to the window and looked outside, but I was too late. Whoever jumped out the wind, uh, jumped a short distance to the flyover and ran for it. Maybe they had a car waiting for them. Anyway, they were gone. The dwarf groaned and I looked back again. We was probably a mess we could in with. I guess there'd been a fight. There was a chair I turned on the floor and a lamp that had been knocked over by the table. My eyes fell on a packet of book matches. I didn't know why I picked them up. I put them in my pocket and only I knew we didn't have a lot of time and that, and that any clothes, no matter how small, might help. Maybe it was just that. I didn't want to look at the dwarf. Anyway, that's what I did. Johnny Naples opened his mouth and tried to speak. That's all good. He said, then the nasty burping sound, then the sun. That was it. His eyes closed. The, the dwarf stayed, uh, stayed open. D for dwarf, D for dead. Herbert had picked something up off, off the carpet. Nicky for him. It was a gun. He was still smoking. He was still standing there, holding it, when the door crashed open. A man who had been drunk outside the hotel's bandage was standing there. The gun, too. The isolation was vivid, growling softly. There was two more people behind him. Please, he shouted. Herbert fainted. The man swung round to cover him. You are under arrest, he said. Drink the gun, so disappear for a couple of seconds. Falcon. 
train neighbours were taken off to the mall. We're taken back to the Leverett Grove Police Station. I didn't know which of us got the better treatment. While we was carried out of his back, covered with a nice clean sheet, we were dragged out, handcuffed together, and thrown into the back of a van. It turned out, of course, a drunk in the street had been a plain-clothes street policeman. No association and had been a plain-clothes police dog. Hotels Flindid had been the subject of a major police stakeout, and we more or less had our chips the moment we walked in. We left a stew in a bare bricked into interrogation room, or freeze rather. Room wouldn't have been much warmer than the mall. There's one metal table, three metal chairs and five metal bars on a window. The bed would have been too small to climb out of anyway. A blackboard lined one wall and there was a post on the wall reading Crime doesn't pay underneath somebody's school, nor does police work. The room smelt like stale cigarette smoke. I wondered how many hardened criminals had grown harder while waiting there. Herbert said little since he woke up, but after 20 minutes he suddenly looked around us and he just realised where he was. Nick, Nick, he said, yes. Do you think, you don't think the police think I had anything to do with what happened to Dwarf, do you? He asked. No, I replied. You went up to see him. There was a gunshot. You found him holding a gun. Not a gun. Drop dead. I'm sure the police won't think you were old. At that moment, there's a rattle of key. We opened and we, well, it was turned in the lock and the door swung open. Herbert groaned. The man had just come in. Didn't look too happy either. Herbert, simple, he said. Inspector Snake. Herbert muttered to a strangled voice. Inspector Snake. Inspector, Chief Inspector Saint the Mangrove. No thanks to you. Chief Snake back to a blonde head and built like a rubber player, who was slightly squashed shoulders had come from too many scrubs. His skin was the colour of raw bacon, and he spoke with a northern accent. You're probably wearing off wearing an off white shirt. You've probably been pure white when he had put it on and a tie had not been slipped over his collar. It was a struggle to get it away with his bulgy neck. He followed by a smaller, squatter version of himself with black, perm hair, an open neck shirt, and a gold medallion glittering in the forest over his chest. The assistant, if that's what he had stood, he was, stood there, pounding one fist on the palm of his hand, looking as if with unfriendly, murky brown eyes. Well, if they were the, the cops, I thought, well, hate to meet the robbers. Herbert, simple, Satan repeated, drawing up a chair. Can I hit him? The other policeman said. No, Boyle. The chief inspector smiled unpleasantly. Herbert Simple, he said, the name of his third time, chewing the wound, words like it would clench his teeth. The words, police control, episode in my station. In two months, you did more damage than the Cray brothers managed in 20 years. The day he left, I cried like a baby. Five tears of pleasure. I never thought I hoped. I prayed that I'll never see you again. His pig-like eyes were turned on me. And who are you, laddie? He asked. He's brother, I said. Bad luck, bad luck. Can I eat him? Bob asked. Relax, Bob. The chief inspector took out a cigarette and lit it. Now the question is, I'm asking myself, how should I avoid a luckless 
That's what I'm trying to tell you, Satan snapped. He lit another, himself another cigarette. He didn't look like a train smoker, but that's the sort of fact my big brother, some people. Johnny Aid was in the nobody, Satan banged on. A quack doctor run out of down, practice and play. Back streets and love pubs and put one here. But we, but you, his last patient, he struck lucky. You remember about the fault? You already know about a falcon. I wonder how much he knows. No name. His full name, for example, Henry von Fickenberg. I wonder working he's out of your league. Be fair, von Fickenberg's in the league of his own. Look, if he catches it, big cooks in London, England. The fact, man, he's probably the number one. America was a head of Godfathers in Italy. All the Falcon brothers, but the Falcon was an internationalist. He's half English, half German. Loyal to neither country and living we heard last of him in Bulgaria. There wasn't a single criminal of the neck in the world. It hasn't been dinner business with his if you steal a cut loaf load of milk mint coats in the Moscow, you sell it to Falcon. You want to buy a kilo of cocaine in Canada, you just well load the Falcon. He was the number one, the top man, the king of crime. If it was a country in the world, the police didn't want him. We have taken we have taken him he had taken it as a personal insult. Now, like any big businessman, the Falcon needs funds, a financial platform on which to build his detailed deals. Unlike most businessmen, you couldn't just open an account with your own local building society. You didn't trust the Swiss banks. You didn't trust his own mother, which is probably the way he rubbed her out back in 1965. The only currency the Falcon would do diamonds, uncut diamonds, the frank might fall, the river might rise, but diamonds held their own. In every major city, there's one little stash of diamonds in Paris, Amsterdam, New York and London. In fact, London was the centre of his own operations, so that's where he's the biggest stash. We weren't sure what we believe, what perhaps... Only a mile from here, we managed to convince conceal diamonds to the value of three and a half million pounds. Cause of fate and got it. I lit my lips, Herbert shook his hand and whistled. Her Falcon was a great criminal stat, continued. But a month ago he ran like luck ran out. He'd been arrested. He could have been a machine gun by a rival gang, but in the end he was run over by a bus. It's a crazy way to end a crazy life. It happened outside the airport. He crossed the road to catch a plane to England who believe he's carrying the key to diamonds with him. The man who happened to be on the scene and travelled with him on the in the ambulance on the way to Oswald was Johnny Naples. So Falcon is lying on his back with the light running out and of him and he only he knows where fortune in diamonds is hidden. Now we can't be certain but people are dying tend to rely on secrets that would otherwise keep them to themselves. We believe the Falcon told Johnny Naples where he could find those diamonds. Look at it this way. A few days later Naples uh, junks his job and takes a first class flight to London. There's no reason why you should have come here unless you've got two two together, mate. Three and a half million, I said. Right, Snape stood, walked over to the rebel. He then produced a piece of chalk from his pocket. So Johnny Nable flies into the end of the rainbow in the case. England, but he's not alone because all sorts of people are interested in diamonds now that Falcon did. He ran around and scored a name on the flat rebel, the fat man. He's our number one. The fat man often does business for Falcon. If anyone 
knew about the secret stash, it would be him. And he could use the money, give the fat man three and a half million pounds. Maybe he'd go international himself. He'd become the next Falcon. Probably knew that the Dwarf was staying before we did. Did he, did he kill Johnny Nables? If so, he's on the bomb, he's on the way to Diamonds. That's the bad news for us, Snake wrote the second name, believe it. Bernice von Frankenberg. There's a dark horse, Snake, can continue. The Falcon's wife, his widow, how she's once Hollywood's greatest actress. She fell in love with her when he saw her in a fellow. She played a total role. From all accounts, she wasn't a happy marriage. She spent six months of a year in London and six months in La Paz. Did he ever tell her where the diamonds were hidden? If he did, didn't. She, she wanted, she wanted yeah. to know. Two more names followed. William Gott and Hedvig Kimmel. They were Falcon's right-hand men and two, two lieutenants. They got in their hands in the diamonds. They would have enough money, to enough power to take over the Falcon's empire. Gott and him were killers. They were both born in Germany. They were both educated at him too. During the time, the vicar and the PE instructor went missing. And so the assistant headmaster was found hanged with his own school toy, old school toy. They appeared in London the day after Johnny Naples. They were here, and they were deadly. The professor, here's another mystery, but if anyone knows where the diamonds are, it's likely to be him. He's Falcon's technolizer, he's tame, egghead, he's brilliant but crooked. For example, he invented computer for five years before anyone invented a computer. The diamonds are any sort of safe, he probably built it. But about a year ago, he went missing. He, he could be dead, nobody's heard of him since. Snape turned the blackboard to blackboard, wrote the final name. Herbert Snip. As far as he got, the chalk broke in his hand. As long, at last you come, we come to you, he said. Hapless, horrible, Herbert Simple. You say Johnny Naples is your clients. I want to know. Why? I want to know why why I want to, what he wanted, I want to know what he said, I want to know what you two are doing mixed up in this, and I don't know and I want to know now. He pulls things are beginning to make some sort of sense. Not a lot of sense, mind you, but at least we know that's the stakes we're playing for. Johnny Sanger was to come to London and search for three and a half million pounds. The way it left us a box of teasers. There hadn't been a lot to go on, but that's all we had. The trouble was if we told Snape that the Naples had given us, we know it's that too. But well, that, well, that's the way I saw what it was like. A lot of people were interested in what was taking place at our office that first morning. The fat men had gone, one of them. Perhaps it was being caught at home and run set to place the same night. Sooner or later, there's some running. Come, they'll come gunning for us. The worst come to worst, we had to give them our teasers, which meant we had to keep them from, well, safe. Okay, to be honest, we were really sitting on the key of a fortune. I wanted everyone to return it. There were plenty of things I could do with three million pounds. I reckon I could let, let Herbert keep the other half. Come on, state crowd. It's your turn. Where did they, what did neighbours want? There was a long silence. Boyle shuffled to forward. I noticed at this time, neighbour had no move to stop him. Neighbours, come here, looking for the money, I said. You're all right, you're right there. But you'd followed. You, you, you 
was afraid. That's why he came to us. We thought we were able to give him some sort of protection. Nick, Herbert muttered. We didn't tell us anything more than that. Well, hand clamped down on the back of my neck. He half dragged me to my feet. Now I knew how a piece of scrap felt, iron fields, was picked up by a mechanical driver. I waited for him to crush me. You're lying, he is. Scout's owner, pleaded. You know about a key thing reminded me. Only because Sleep was to mention it. But we haven't got it. You can search the office if you like. What do you have? Walt said. No, no, you look. You know that someone had to talk it apart. Look. We don't know anything. Why do you think we went to the Hotel Splendid? Place of search, we got scared. We went to see Naples, so we asked him what was going on. By the time we got there, you were dead. Honest. For a moment, the only sound in the room was a vague crackling, creaking of my neck, splintered in a ball's grip. But then, he must have got some sort of signal for Snape. He released me, and I collapsed in my chair. My legs had turned to jelly. I fell in... For a moment, the only sound in the room was a vast creaking of my neck, splintered, a dull's grip. He must have got some sort of signal from Snape. He released me and I collapsed in my chair. My legs had turned to jelly. I could hardly move my head. Okay, we'll play your way, son, Snape said earnestly. We'll let you go. I don't believe you, and nor will the fat man or any of the other nasties waiting for you around here. Be interesting to see which one gets to you first. I suppose I'll stand by and watch, I muttered, rubbing my neck. Don't worry, Snape. We'll be around to pick up the pieces. Thank you for following people to listening for this far. So far, Denise, Graham, Nelson, Christopher, Chris, Brian, Simon, Michelle, Ralph Henry, Mountain, Paula, Phil, Croatia. Thank you for listening to the Falcons Matiza. Up to chapter seven. Wait next Sunday for the exciting installments of the Falcons Matiza. I'm sorry I had to go, but I'm off to watch Doctor Who. Sorry about that, folks. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed it.
and squeezed it. The stuff splattered out, missing the plate, splattering on the white table. It looked like blood. Herbert pulled his knife and fall down. Nick, he began. Herbert, I said to him, spreading. Actually, I know what to expect now. I should have seen it coming. This case is getting out of hand, he said. I mean, it's getting dangerous. The way things are going, I reckon someone could get hurt. You mean like Jenny and Naples? I reminded him. Right, Herbert stared at the tomato sauce. His lips curling. Everyone just get and he wasn't just hurt, he went on. I mean probably was hurt, but he but he also he was also killed. You can get it you can't get more hurt than that, I agreed. He nodded. So what am I saying what I'm saying is maybe it's time you you split your good kid, Nick. You're, but you're only thirteen. This case this is this is a case of Tim Diamond. It was incredible. Maybe it was a shock of what happened that day. Or maybe it was a milkshake that was trying to get rid of me. This is a case of Tim Diamond. It was a line out of a bad movie, but Herbert really believed it. I could see him switching to private detective role, even as he sat there, shoulders slumped, eyes hard. He had a cigarette dwindling out of the corner of his mouth. His cigarettes didn't make him throw up. I figured I'd send you to Auntie Maureen, it's now, he went on. I shuddered. Auntie Maureen, my mother's sister, had a semi-detached house and a semi-detached false hip. She was only 50 years old, but need of round around, round the clock nursing. Whenever I stayed with her, with her, I ended up as a round and hair clock nurse. Oh, you can always go to Australia, Herbert added. I took a deep breath and pronged a full full of French fries. Whenever Herbert got into these moods, I had to tread carefully. I ever shifted a great diamond. Needed any help from his 13-year-old brother, I would have been on the next plane, Disney, faster than he could whistle, more easier. It's nice to think of me, Tim, I said. I don't want to get in your way, but I reckon I'll be safe with you, sure, you fat? He took a bite and he's out of his burger. Sure, I mean, a fat man will come for me and sell. I might get kidnapped or barely brutally beaten without me release. Full safe. That's true. Then I'll feel safe for you, I continued. Back in hotels Palendi, for example, I didn't know what I'd done without you, Herbert smiled modestly. The way you fainted, it was heroic. Now he's scowled. You are not taking the mickey, are you? Me? No way. I felt it was time to bring the conservation back to the a close to close a look, so I took out the books and the teasers and put them on the table. That's what we should be worrying about, I said. Three and a half million pounds of her, and it's our only clue. I don't get it, Herbert said. Herbert never did. Look, I said. I spoke slowly, trying to make it easy for him. Johnny Naples comes to England with the key for a fortune. That's what the fat man asked us for, remember? A key. Now, all we got is his box of teasers. But maybe he doesn't know what that means either. How do you know that, Herbert asked? Because Snake told us that the dwarf had been in England for a whole month before he was killed. Maybe the Falcon didn't have time to tell him anything before he died. Naples had a rough idea and came over here to look. Come on. 
all right. So neighbours came to England. He checks into the hotel, spending, and he starts looking. Well, unfortunately to him, for him, there were lots of people interested in him. The same people that are now interested in us. But Johnny Nichols still manages to find out that maintaining his mean. He takes him with him. Like, you take a treasure map so that nobody will see what he's carrying. Buys an envelope to put him in. He goes to the hotel to Fulham. But when he sinks, what he, when he sees he's being followed, so what does he do? I don't know, Herbert said, breathlessly. What does he do? He comes to us. He's in the street. He happens to see your name on the door. You're a private detective. That's perfect. Maybe your name rings a bell. No, Nick, Herbert interrupted. It's a little button by the door that rings a bell. No, I groaned. I mean, Tim uh, uh, Diamond. Diamonds are what it's all about. Oh, I see. Johnny Nichols came in, gave us, a, gave us the envelope. And you remember how scared he was. He knew thought he was being followed, so he gave us a package, which is a way everybody wants, and promises to come back when the heat is off. We didn't come back, Herbert said. No, because he got killed. Oh, yes. Now we've got the Maltesers, if we got, can work out what, where he's going, and what he's going to do with them, well, then when we got there, we'll be rich. That's terrific, Herbert exclaimed. exclaimed. And I hope all faults are slow. Auntie Maureen had left his head quickly. He finished his meal. Then he picked up the box. Perhaps the diamonds are inside, he suggested. Covered in chocolate. No, I said. I doubt if they would fit three and a half million worth inside. Anyway, we'd eaten six of them. They certainly didn't taste like diamonds. Then what? It was a good question. You, go, you can go buy a box of teasers at any sweet shop, but to save the money, let me, let me just describe the box we had. It had the name written in white letters on a red background, surrounded by pictures of chocolate balls themselves. This is the top of the red top, on the top, on all four sides. One side also carried an inspiring message. The lighter way to enjoy chocolates. On the other side, the weight, 146 king. G, G, 16 G, 5.5 ounces. There's also on the bottom, it reads, chocolates and crisp, light honeycomb centers. Then with the usual blurb about milk solids and vegetable fat, that had been archived, that had achieved this miracle in addition. There was a guarantee, this confectionery, to reach your perfect condition. A line asking you to keep your country tidy. After that, it was a red number. Code number MLB four nine three. Every panel. Basic form twenty eight twelve ninety six. In the left hand corner, printed in blue, was a barcode. The series of thick and thin lines you got on all products these days. There was a number beneath that too. Three five two one two o one o o o o o o o. That's about as complete a description of box of Matitas as you are ever going to find in a library or bookshelf. And it was not very helpful. The waitress hobbled over and we ordered two granny pies. We sat in silence, waiting for them to arrive. The question was, how would you hide the location of a fortune in diamonds on a box of sweets? And for that matter, why choose a box of sweets in the first place? The answer was in our hands, and even then I might have not been able to guess so the truth is I've forgotten one important detail, one thing that Johnny Nagels had done. 
had, had done had slipped my mind and find a working out with Herbert's boat. Hey, lucky aunt. No, we finished our puddings and ordered meal. How about the little dots? Herbert asked. Little dots? And the lads? He pointed to the Maltesers. They spell they could spell something out of another message. They ain't little, they ain't little dots, any little dots, I said. It could be written in, in a bit of a ink. I can't see it. That's because it's invisible. It's my trophy. Listen, I said, did Johnny Nables it? We didn't know what the Maltesers meant. We have a handler to find out, right? Right, Herbert agreed. So, if I could work out where he went while we was in England, maybe we'd find out too. Right, Herbert frowned. But he's dead. So where will we start? Maybe here, I said. I took out the box of matches I had found in the hotel and gave it to him. It belonged to a place called the Casablanca Club, with a dress in West End. There was a map on the inside the cover, and three matches left. Where did you get this, Herbert asked. Well, I picked it up in the dwarf's room at the hotel, I said. I thought it might be useful. Yes, Herbert realised. We'll go there tomorrow, he said. If we can work out where Johnny Naples went while he was in England, maybe we can find out what the Matisse mean. I've never and nearly choked on my milkshake. That's brilliant, actually. Sure thing, kid, Herbert said. I didn't remind him that I had said exactly the same thing only a few minutes before. Well, nor did he remind me about Slough. This might be a case for Tim Wyman, but as long as I play my cards right, it seemed there's still room for his little brother Nick. Right. 
part of our investigation, I explained. A client of ours may have gone here, so we may have to go there too. But Mrs. Charlie he wasn't impressed. He's landing clubs, she said. He just stands away inky winky. She took her head, the grey curls of her head, tumbled like lemons off a cliff. You've got to go there, if you've got to go there, if you will. You go if you have to, but I'm sure it's no good will come of Nevertheless, her and I made our way to the Casablanca Club the same night, arriving just after 12. There's a corner that changes the train cost, just behind the station, that comes straight off the 19th century. As the roads slope down towards the river, you leave the traffic and bright lights behind you, and suddenly the night seems to creep up on you and grab you by the collar. Listen carefully and you hear the Thames, water gurgling in the distance as you squint into the shadows. You see figures shuffling up down, slowly past like zombies. Well, this is the down and out territory. Old tramps and winers wandered down the bars underneath the arches at the bottom, wrapped in filthy raincoats and days over headlines. The Casablanca club was in the middle of all this. A flight of steps laid down underneath a dim green bulb. If you didn't know what you were looking for, there's no way to find it. There's no name, no fancy sign, only a twinkle of piano music that seemed to steep out the cracks in the pavement hinted that in the dark and the dust and the darkness of train cars somebody might have been having might be having a good time. We climbed down to to the plain wooden door to five meters below the level of the pavement. Someone must have been watching though. It's by home for it but it's open before we had to time to knock. Yes, voice said any place, I thought. Can we come in? How is it? You, you members? No. The beat it. The door swung shut. At that very moment, Herbert managed to get his foot in the crack. There was a nasty crunching sound as his shoe, plus his feet too, got chewed up in the But when the door swung open again, I managed to push my way through into the wall. A bald man in a dinner jacket gave me an ugly look. He never wanted to give someone a pretty look. He needed major plastic surgery. We're friends of Johnny Naples, I said. The man said, why didn't you say so before, he asked. He didn't ask, I said. He opened the door again. Herbert was rearing in a on the concrete outside, clutching his mangled foot. Instant membership, two quid, the old boy said. Glance at me. You're the way she may have lumbered. You don't, you don't look too good yourself, I had replied. How old are you, he asked. Twenty-five. Twenty-five, he sneered. You got a driver's license? No, I've got a chauffeur. I walked on, leaving Herbert to find the money and pay. In a dim light, I called. Could have been any age. Anyhow, I was taller than Johnny Naples. I mean, uh, had ever been, and they allowed him in. Funny enough, the first waiter who saw me he was me for the dwarf in the half light. Mr. Naples? The words were two drops of oil squeezed into my ear. I led to, I led to a table in the front of a large room. There's so much smoke in the air that my eyes had more water in them than the house whiskey. I loosened my tie and sat down. In front of that, there was more smoke in the air than there was air in the smoke. Another way to pass. Good evening, Mr. Nichols. 
you put a silver bucket in love, two glasses on the table, and it filled. There was a bottle of champagne in the bucket, surrounded by its corpse, already uncooled. With the compliments of the house, well, he said, I scratched my head. Jotha must have been quite regular here. Come regularly, drunk regularly. I wondered what else he did regularly at the place where we go. But looked around me. There was perhaps a hundred people there, sitting at the tables that crowding round the bar, with three black-tied waiters, shook cocktails behind a curving marble counter. The air was filled with hubbub of conversation. The figures were indistinct as the cigar smoke, cigarette smoke. There was dance floor at one end, but tonight there was no band, just a black pianist stroking ivory to her fingers that looked too stubby to sound so good. Right in front of my table, there was a stage for the size, but the size you expect a stage to be in a run-down drinking club. The place had no windows, no ventilation, but smoke had smothered the light, strangled the plants, and it wasn't going to doing a lot for me either. I drank some champagne. I never got drank and stuff before and I don't say I really liked it. But it's thirsty and it's free. Herbert joined me muttering about ten pounds and a moment later a spotlight cut through the crown of clouds and the cloud flew silent. A figure moved on the stage, a woman in her fifties who dressed like she was in her thirties, with jewelry flashing there and there here and there to keep your eyes off the wrinkles. She was attractive if you didn't look too closely. At one time, she might have been been beautiful, but years hadn't been good to her. They'd taken the colour out of her hair, but a husky voice followed out her throat and slapped her around a bit for good measure. I drank some more champagne. The bubbles were going straight up my nose and dancing behind my eyes. It panicked to come to the end of the tune. The woman... But as a woman moved forward, you grinned another, and she sang almost as if she didn't care what she was doing. She sang two or three songs. When she finished, she got the spattering of walls. As the talk started up again, she moved down to our table and sat opposite me. Only when she was close enough to see the pinks of my eyes, the whites had gone the, that colour in all the smoke, did she see who I was. You're not Johnny, she said. We're friends of each, I said. I let the sentence hang in the air. I need, I need her to complete it. No, um, Bacardi, she said. Where's Johnny? I looked at Herbert from the way she was talking, the little guy, obviously being something to her. I don't know how, how she could take the news. I hope we think of a gentle way to tell her. You know, with a bit of tact. He's dead, Herbert said. Dead? Yep, nodded, dead. She took out a cigarette and lit it. I guess she needed something to do with her hands. After all, the smoke and the neat atmosphere at the total gas of Bangalore. He didn't actually need to light another cigarette. Was he killed? She asked. Yeah, I said. Drank some more champagne. The most more I drank, the better I liked it. You know him? She smiled sadly. We were friends. Her eyes were far away. They seemed further away than her nose. Maybe it was a champagne. I thought she was going to get out and walk out of her life. The way things turned out, it would have been better if she had. But the pianist had slid into a bloody number and she needed to talk. Johnny and I knew each other for ten years, she said. But we never met. Not until a month ago. We were pen pals. He was in South America. I was over here. Maybe you laugh at me, but he's a kind of fellow. 
halfway break for the crowd, ignoring the shouts of protest and clash of grass, breaking glass. That was the one time I was glad I wasn't fully grown, before anyone could see me grab a hold. Before anyone could see, could see me to grab hold of me, I was gone. I reached the door and the cold night hit me like an angry woman, slapping my face and tearing my hair. The first thing I saw was the remains of what had been about great flowers, but now the cellophane was torn and the flowers were scattered over the steps. So Sim was broken. At the same time, I heard someone calling out. It was Lauren Bacardi. I took the steps three at one time and I reached the street. I just had time to catch sight of her being bundled into the back of a blue, dark blue van. A shadowy figure slammed the door and ran around to the front. The engine was already running. A moment later, so was I. I ran across surveying, meaning I didn't know. I guess I thought I'd be able to pull the door open and get Lauren out, but of course it was locked. So instead I jumped onto it, slamming into the me at all like a hamburger hitting the riddle and hanging on for my dear life as the van rolled away. I managed to get a foothold of the sorts of alerts and plates. I had one hand on the door handle, one hand curled under the rim of the edge. I half speed and travelling at about 30 miles an hour when the van turned the corner. Whoever was driving put their foot down then. Perhaps they heard they were, had an unwelcome veteran. I reckon the van was doing 60 when I was thrown off. I had to tell, after all, I was sort of somersaulting through the air. If I was going to be honest, I might as well have my eyes were tightly, tightly closed like I was praying, which in fact I was. All I knew was that me and the man had partly company. It rolled off to the left, it was tired screaming. I flew off to the right, it should have been killed. I should have I should, I could have been killed. But if you've gone down that part of London at night, you'll find that the offices put a lot of junk out on the pavements to be cleared by the rubbish trucks the next day. My fault was broken by a mountain of cardboard boxes and plastic bags, still better than bags are full of paper and being put out for the shredder. Computer printouts and sort of thing. It was like being eating a pile of cushions. I was bruised, but nothing broken. A minute later, Herbert reached me. He must have been, I must have been convinced that I finished because I got my feet and walked towards him, brushing paper cut into my sleeves. He almost fainted with surprise. Do you get? Did you get the man's number? I asked. He opened the door, closed his mouth again. Goldfish, mate, I said. No, why not? You were standing on it, he said. Why don't you? You still couldn't believe what you did see. I took him back to the, on the other road. I took a look back on the empty road. Lauren Bacardi had been able to, had been able to tell us anything important, now she had gone. I finished before my feet walked towards him, brushing paper cuttings off my sleeves. I was fainted with surprise. Did you get the man's number? I asked. He closed, the, he closed and opened his mouth again without speaking. It's really an impressive.
impersonation of a goldfish, but I wasn't in the mood of being detained. The plane interfered and said, no, why not? We still, you were standing on it. We still couldn't believe what we have seen. A lot of back down the road, you know, Lauren McCauley had been there about to tell us something important, and now she was gone. Only, uh, only chance of finding the secret of Antesis might have gone with her. Let's get to taxi home, I said.
courts and the Vincent and the Cohen Cross, or we might be able to help us with all coins into the disappearance of a certain singer, one Lauren Bacaldi. Oh, it looks like kidnapped. I guess which kid is our prime suspect. Search me, I said. I probably will one of these days, Snape assured me. He smiled as a little joke, I have to admit. Jokes didn't come up much more little than that. I've got you, I've got you for murder, for kidnapping, for underage drinking, failing to pay for one bottle of champagne and causing a disturbance in my life. I could lock you up right now. You're dead, I thought. You're dead, my old whispered. Snake sighed. Thank you, Doyle. Why can't you rest to Sylvester, sorry, I asked. Because uh, you're, not, you're more used to me outside. I mean, you're nice and safe in a cozy police station, wouldn't you? It'd be nice and safe in a cozy police station, wouldn't you? You just sit down the other mourners and now grouping themselves around the grave. I'm still waiting to see what happens to you. Come on, Boyle. Snape and Boyle went over to the grave. We followed them. It turned out the falcon was to be buried in the old part of the cemetery with the grass at its highest. The gravestones half buried themselves. There's a vicar standing in the rain beside what looked like some sort of antique thunder phone box. It was a stone memorial at two metres high, mounted in a stone by a stone falcon. It beaks slightly open in the wind's rays. There's a stone tablet set in the memorial below. A quotation for the Bible cut into it. A path of the just is a shining light. A sun is more than modern unto the perfect night. Proverbs IV 18. The names of the dead von Fickelbergs was written beneath it. Mother, father, father, two grandparents, a cousin. There were seven of them all. Rectangular home would cut out to the earth to meet with the names. As we approached, the coffin was being lowered. Henry Van Fickenberg had gone to join his ancestors. It was raining harder than ever. The vicar had gone the funeral service, but he could hardly hear him from all the splashing. I took the opportunity to swim in the other mornings. It was a pity about the weather. What with the umbrellas and turned up collars and the humped shoulders, it was possible to see half of them. Possible to see half of them. If it hadn't been signing, I'd had a better look. But I didn't recognise Bernice von Vekkerberg. It had to be her, a tall, elegant woman, black mink, a servant holding an umbrella over her from behind. Eyes and nose were hidden by a widow's veil, but I could see a pair of thin lips set in expression of profound boredom. She was dabbing her eyes with a tiny white handkerchief, which she didn't look too greedy to me. Stephen said she had been Hollywood's greatest actress. She wouldn't have won an Oscar for this particular performance. There was one standing, one man, there was a man standing a short way from her. He caught my attention because he had alone carried neither raincoat nor umbrella. He was short and pudgy with silver hair, wearing round, hair, round glasses and a, a steel frame, a face like an owl. As if he could droned on, he shuffled about on his feet, occasionally setting himself against a framestone. Like the widow, he didn't look exactly heartbroken. His eyes were fixed on the bottom. Memorial, but it was easy to see his mind was miles away. Who else was there? I recognised a journalist who worked on the local newspaper. I wondered did a piece of her about me when we were out and set out on business. Apart from Saint Bo and Widower, 
the rest of the crowd was strangely to me. The vicar was hurrying through the surface now, tipping, tripping over the words to get the end and out of the rain. His circulators was splashed with mud, and speeches of the Bible was struggling out of the spine. He was scooped holy dirt into the grave. The wind caught it and threw it back into his eyes. He blinked, spat, bow out. Our men ran. Denise Van Vickenberg turned and went after him. Snaver boy hung back. Our face jammed his hands into his pockets and sauntered off into the road of a direction towards Vantor Road. Very moving, very touching. It's a feminine voice and they come from a beneath a multicolored golfing umbrella held by a man who crept up beside him, standing behind me. I looked around. It was a fat man. I could have known what he, he would be here. How nice to see you again, he said in a voice that said exactly the, the, the opposite. Come on, I said to Herbert. To Herbert. I want to get back to the flat out of the but the fat man blocked my way. Do you like funerals, he said. Asked. I was thinking of arranging one. Yours. I'm too young to die, I said. What, what brings you here, Mr. Virginia Fatman? Dan Fiffenberg, you know, one of the old friends, very dear friends, he's been. His management, there's something about him I, that I very much admired. Yeah, money, I said. Well, he still hasn't found, found your key. Perhaps you ought to ask Gotten or Hulkenberg. He obviously knew them, and then his eyes narrowed, and his mouth twitched as he had just swallowed one of the poison corn pellets. We're looking for it, Mr. Fat Man. I said, if we stay, we'll let you know the sun we found it. I'll give you two days. Fat Man plucked the carnation out of his bar and threw it into the grave. He'll run out of time. He turned his back on us and fought for a way. Quite enough, coming to the films had been a mistake. Dead end in every sense of the word. We hadn't picked up anything apart. Press and done with ammonia. And if he had been a chance to meet a few old friends, if it was still old friends, I preferred to avoid. Scotch Carol's free sneeze. Only a sour scotch. He said the benefit of the undertaker or anyone else who might be listening. I knew that once we got back to the flat, he would actually fix himself with a sort of toddle of oil. But I was wrong there. The things didn't turn out quite as I expected. We made a couple of stops on the way back. Herbert clashed the track. We had enough money to lash out on a packet of oak and salsa and maybe a box of teasers. What do you want that for, Herbert asked. Oh, I've got a headache. I said, no, we love our teasers. So it's plain, whoever snatched it on call, Bacardi, might have known by now what Johnny April spent his last month of his money trespassing around London with a box of Maltesers, and they might, they might, might, and they might come looking for them. The dress box was, was still happy beneath the floor. I bought the second box as a sort of noose and shorts. I leave it somewhere nice and find it easy to find, just in case anyone else broke in. We got back to the flat and let ourselves in, tripping on the doormat. Maybe I noticed that street was on door, not door when we wasn't supposed to be. Maybe I didn't. I just remembered. Well, 
for the rain. I am just trying to be in. Right it says, home it sneezes again. The office door's open. This time I didn't notice him. Herbert, I said. We went to the office. Into the office. Herbert's eyes were. Must have gone straight to death because he went to pick something up. What's he doing here? I heard him say. But he didn't look. I didn't look for him. My ears are on the court stretched out below the window. It took me a minute before I remembered where I had seen him before. I should have known for a moment. I saw the chauffeur's earnings from his Lawrence, the fairground driver. He was still wearing his one-way glasses. But one of the lenses had become a spider's web. Full facts. No, shattered by a bullet, which had gone one way for it. Nick! Herbert whimpered in a voice of pure jelly. I looked up and all, and I saw it all. Fetch, what? What's this doing here? I said, Herbert said, else. I played the, I played the words in my head. This is Margaret, it's a gun. It's lying on the carpet beside the desk. Now he's holding it. At that moment, the door opened, Snape and Boyle had followed us. There was, there was me kneeling beside another dead man. There was Herbert again holding the gun. They had just killed me. There, there were two police officers looking at me in open eye, mouth, and sunshine. You're Herbert again. No, Herbert moaned. I don't believe it, I said. I agreed. He 
side. In the morning, I tell Satan everything. You can end up with teases of which I gave him to him in the first place. That woke me up like a bucket of ice water. Three and a half million pounds of diamonds, and he wanted to give it away. I lit over the side of the bunk. It was dark, but I couldn't see a thing. But I hoped I was addressing Herbert's ear rather than his feet. Herbert, I said. If you wish for one more word about those Montezas, I will personally kill you. But Nick, no, Herbert, those Montezas are the only hope you've got. Uh, he sneezed again. But I might, I might get sent, get sent to prison. He protested. Don't worry, I said. I'll visit you every Friday. They woke up at seven in the morning. We were allowed to wash them. The guard brought us each a mug of tea. I asked for a bacon sandwich, but all I got was a nasty look. They went back into the interrogation room with Herbert, but not for me. The snake snooped, stopped me at the door. I was with him, growling softly. There's one guy I wanted to stay clear of. I wanted even a trusted boy to get my fingerprints. No, I wanted to keep my fingerprints. No, if I wanted to keep my fingerprints. You can go, laddie, Snake said. If only your big, it's only your big brother we want. How long are you going to keep him for? I asked. It's only five days to Christmas, so he hadn't had run. He hadn't any time to buy my presents yet. Snake was unimpressed. We'll keep him as long as it takes, he said. I'll tell the social worker to visit you. Make sure you're all right. I'll visit him. Yeah, I'll visit him. Boyle oh, grunted. No, you won't boil. Stay pissed. I jerked the thumb in the face system. He took a social worker more. You need a social worker more than me, I said. Boyle lumbered a few steps toward me, and then Snake grabbed hold of me for a minute. It was if I wasn't there. You're being ridiculous, Boyle, Snake murmured. I told you about those violent videos. Well, I just want to, Boyle began. No, no, how many times? I tell you, this isn't the right sort of image for a modern Mediterranean metropolitan police force. Yesterday, Boyle growled, in Transylvania, Snake replied. He turned to the back of me. Go on, son, out of here, he said. Answered the Herbert, who squeezed visibly. The door slammed and suddenly was alone. I didn't much, I didn't do much that morning. There wasn't much I could do. I said, Herbert's always with my feet on his desk. I tried to work out what might have been pulled the plug on the fat man's sofa. Why? By mid morning, I had it more or less figured out. I went like this. The fat man had given us two days to come up with the goods. We ran out of time, so he decided to take a rummage around our flat for some himself. It's easy to survive in the Falcons Hotel, Trimble, and that gives us the chance he wants. While he holds us up in the cemetery, there's no other reason for the little chat we had. His faithful chauffeur, housekeeper, Lawrence is turning the place over, at least that's what he thinks. But whoever kidnapped Norman Cardi, and my money's still on Gordon Himmel, been asking the questions. She tells them about the box of teasers, so you need back to pick them up, and that's when they find Lawrence. Maybe that's, there's a fight, maybe they're just about to fight him. Either way, they shoot him before Herbert and I get back to the funeral. They make, they make a hasty exit through the bathroom window, over the roof, and get back 
the left of the body. Simple as that. I opened the drawer of the Herbert's desk. A box of the scissors was still there. A false box brought myself. The real box was just under the floorboard, dressed in, covered in dust. I was just about to pull it out when I have a look. Another, another look at it when the phone rang. Hello? It was a female's voice, soft, hesitant, perhaps foreign. I wondered, I figured she might have the wrong number. I didn't know how any soft, hesitant, perhaps foreign woman, but she was at last, Kidman Devon? Not here, I told her. I think he's, I'm his partner. Kidman Yeah, I've been, off. yeah, but right now I'm walking solo. How can I help you? With a pause at the other end of the flying. The lady come. Made up her mind. Can you come out to Hampstead? I need to see you. Why is that? Fidget's von Who is this? Fidget's von Figgenberg. That made me think. So the Black Widow had finally come crawling out of the wood to work. Or has she? Or do we work around the telephone exchange? Or what did she want from me? Suppose I was busy, I said. I make sure it, it's worth your while. You pay for two, 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 then. Take a taxi. Agreed to give her me. She, so, I agreed. So, she gave me a dress for the West Heath Road. I told me to be there by 12. I wondered if it was another decoy. If the moment had gone, someone else would be elbowing her way into the flat. But as long as, as the famous seasons were the desk, I reckon it was covered. I changed my shirt. Comb, ran a comb from my hair. When I left, it still rang, but at least it was slightly tidy wreck. Once a widow discovered I was only 13 years old, I don't think she would really care how I was dressed. I changed the tide to the taxi, but I took the tube to Hampstead and then walked Hampstead, in case you don't know it. It's in the north of London, it's a green belt for green in money. You don't know if you don't have. You don't have to be rich to live in Hampstead. You, you have to be loaded. It seems to me that every other car passes Rolls Royce and the Dustington Fergal Lombs. I got the directions from the traffic warden round the back of the village. A quarter of an hour later, arrived at the Falklands there. It's a huge place standing over a hill, overlooking the heath. Well, what else? Whatever, whoever said crime doesn't pay should have dropped by, I don't know, dropped by for nightfall. It's a sort of house I've dreamed about. One have had to take a mortgage out just to pay for the dream. Ten bedrooms. Eleven. It could have been slept fifteen or even more under those golden roofs when they price a property in that part of town. I reckon 40 weeks would probably cost about £20 a week. That was just the top floor. Though with the windows on the ground floor, I could glimpse a window kitchen as big as a dining room, and the dining room was big as a swimming pool. There was a swimming pool too, running along all windows to the right of the full front door. Mind you, the way things were around here, there could have been just a bath. I reached out and pressed the front door bell. It went bing, bing, which was a bit of a night to climb. It's after all that had gone before. I had been expecting the maze choir. The door opened and there was another anticlimax. Beatrice von Fickleberg opened itself. So, so, what happened to Butler? She looked to me with disinterest and dread. But I say to you, you can see we're going to get on a lot of fun. Yes, uh, 
Christians and Nick Overland. Nick Overland, you answered me to come in today. She showed I was expecting someone older. Well, I could come back in 20 years if you like. No, no, come in. I followed in, suddenly feeling like a scrubby kid in a bubble job week. She's young for a widow, maybe about 40, with black hair clinging to her head, like a baby kind. Her skin was pale, her lips had started kissing dark red. She was wearing some sort of house robe, with a slit all the way to her waist. She moved like she'd never left a stage, not walking, not flowing. Everything about her felt glass, the same crystal crystal glass in one hand, even a tin plate with lumps of raw meat in the other. I would have better be my bed, she said. No, I should She glanced at the plate. No, I think it's bed. God, we've gone into the room with, a, with this room full. It's been designed to, so you can sit around a bamboo chair, sipping cocktails from the bar, up far in, watching the kids swim. Only there were no bamboo chairs, the bar was empty. I was the only guest. I looked around and suddenly just realised, although it was a millionaire's house of millions, long gone. With no furniture, fading patches on the wall showed there were pictures had been one thin. The curtain rails had lost their curtains. Even the painted potty plants were dead. The house was a shell. It contained all it contained was a window in a house in a house road. Glass of champagne and tin and raw meat. Fido Fido if you called her. Come here, aunt, darling. Everything splashed something splashed in water swallowed. Half the widow widow in the wardrobe, the champagne and cinnamon raw meat. Seeing the house also contained an alligator. Last time I saw an alligator, it was hanging on some rich woman's arm with lipsticks and purses inside. But this one was no handbag. It was very alive, holding out the pole. It very, it was ugly black eyes. Fixed in a plate of meat. Didn't worry, she really said. He is very fond of strangers. Yeah, hold on well, I asked. She smiled and tossed for a piece of meat. It great jaw snapped shut and a made horrid cloping sound as throat bowls sucking the meat down. She held a second piece. I want the mititas. She said, Mititas? Oh, she threw the piece of meat. And this time she made sure it fell short so the creature had stopped forward to get it. I stalked forward towards me. They belong to my husband, she went on. The dwarf saw them. I want them back. I pointed at the alligator. I was getting too close. It was getting too close for comfort. As far as I'm concerned, a hundred miles would have been too close for comfort. Do you have a license for that? I think I asked. I do not know, she said. It was a present from my late husband. Can we have a thought about pussycats? So I don't enter pussycats. I thought of turning and running. But I couldn't be sure I would make it to the door. I had a bit of short, wrinkled legs, but at this moment, I couldn't, I couldn't say mine felt much better. I was only a metre or so away. The crack eyes were fixed on me, almost daring me to make a move. The whole thing was so crazy. I'd never been threatened with an alligator before. I don't have them, my teasers, I said. Tim has them. And who is he? In, in the prison. Where is he? In prison. Leopard's Grove Station. Grove Police Station. She pulls for her. What?
looked at me with cold eyes, the eyes buried into me, looking, trying to work out if I was telling the truth. In the end, they, they must they must be believed to be because she laughed and threw the rest of the meat into the screw ball. The end couldn't screw around and dived after it. I like you, she said. You're not afraid, she walked over to me. She hadn't managed to frighten me so much, she was trying to charm me. She couldn't manage that either. Given a choice, I would rather go out with the other guy. Did uh, anyone ever died? She said. Well, his money went with him. His house was in mine. Nick, I had to turn it on the contents just to get the data.
so that was Vinnie's film. Schreckenberg, a strange lonely woman, showing her memories of a strange lonely, lonely cat. Walked down the road towards Hampstead, as I turned it over two questions of mine. If the falcon had been so sick of her, how could she, how come she found out about Jesus? It seemed unlikely he had told her, so who had? The second thing was even stranger. She telephoned me and asked to speak to Tim Diamond. I hadn't said anything out of something of my brother, so how on earth had she known his real name was Herbert? Hello, <laughs> so, folks, we have on the up to chapter. Uh,